0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of RandomChatter.com's official Expanse podcast, The Crash Count. Yay! Yay! Yes. Uh, My name is Chris McGuffin. Um, If you've listened to any shows on the network, you should probably recognize my voice by now, but if not, um, I am one of the hosts of a variety of shows on the network. I, I used to only be able to say, like, one show, but... Now I'm on multiple. You used to be an um, unpaid
1: intern. Now you're yes. an unpaid host.
0: I, I used to be just a, a <laughs> behind the scenes guy. That's right. Um, but but now I'm on, on a variety of shows, and I'm very excited to do this one. This has been in the works for like what almost a year, <laughs> a year now. Year
1: now, yeah,
0: right. Ooh, it's been more than that, I think.
1: Uh, possibly, we, yeah. We
2: talked about doing this when when Eric and I saw the the premiere episode at Comic Con. A year ago. New York Comic Con. Oh, yeah. We were teasing Chris about, we got to see it, we got to see it. Yeah, Yeah.
0: I remember that. Yep. Uh, Those other two voices, I should probably uh, introduce them. uh, One of them is Eric Blythe. Hello. And the other is Lou Secchi. Yes, I am. I'm right here. How are both of you doing tonight? I'm Doing, doing well.
1: Really well. Very excited to finally be doing this. Though, before we forget... And I didn't think to to have somebody put this in the show notes. Um, this, <laughs> the expanse is based on a book series and in the book series, there's this thing called a crash couch and it's <laughs> a, a couch that the people sit because the physics are really real in this universe. So a crash couch is something that you sit in. That's kind of like a gel bed that absorbs the, the, um, The G force, the inertia, as well as you Mm. get a cocktail of drugs pumped into you through IVs and stuff like that. When you go to what's called full burn, when, you know, you're going at high G's and you're thrusting um, through the galaxy in your ship. So uh, you sit in something called a crash couch to keep you conscious and alive as opposed to splattered on the wall. The television show, interestingly enough, never once mentions a crash couch. Right, oh, wait, wait, right. wait,
0: wait, wait, wait! Yes, they do. Oh, do they? do they? In I believe episode one. No, I think it's episode. One. It's either yes. It's either. Episode, I'm pretty sure it's episode one. Someone mentions the word crash couch.
2: Okay, cool. I don't feel so bad.
0: Okay. <laughs> they don't explain what it is, but they just they do say crash couch.
2: All right. So. There's one thing I was kind of bummed about. Whenever you see shots on on the bridge or on any of the ships, you know they're just sitting in a regular chair at the console. I could see yeah, the no other crash couch. Chair. I'm like,
1: oh. okay. So when we get James S.A. Corey back on the show, and by that I mean uh, Daniel Abraham and, and Ty Frank, the, the two guys who who actually write the books as well as uh, co-write the the TV series, um, we're gonna have to ask them about that. Where are the crash couches? Mm-hmm. I think they knew we were doing a crash couch podcast and then they decided to
2: <laughs> let's let's screw with those guys. Yeah. And when, and when I say back well, those, in the show,
1: uh, when we used to be part of the force cast network and on the force cast network, Jedi journals were interviewing them for, um, the Han Solo book that they'd written Honor among thieves. And so, uh, Jay and Chris were kind enough to graciously allow me to participate in, in that interview, mainly because I wanted to then also talk to them about the expanse books because, <laughs> they're awesome.
0: Anyway. So we have a we have a bit of a format uh that we're going to follow here. Um although this this may change uh once we actually get into um season 2 which premieres uh, a little less than a month from now. Today is January the 5th. Uh the I think the double episode premiere is on February 1st on the Sci-Fi channel. Mm-hmm. So uh that is when that uh comes out. But for now, because we're a little behind, uh we're gonna do um a discussion for episodes one and two, which is uh you guys will have to help me with these names. Dulcinea? Dulcinea. Dulcinea, okay. That, that is, is that the name one?
1: of um isn't that the name of the horse that Don Quixote used to have?
2: No, that was the Rosinante. That was his horse.
1: Right. Dulcinea is the girl that he was. It, it's a reference to Don Quixote. Okay. I know this because there was also a Toad the Wet Sprocket album called Dulcinea. And it was the same. And there was a, a song on it called Windmills, and there was a whole Don Quixote thing. And, and I'm way out of my league here because I'm <laughs> completely <laughs> not into literature, so.
0: Uh, We also have um, episode two we'll we'll be talking about, which is the big empty. So um, but before we get into that, uh, a little preface. I've not read the books. I have them. I've not read them because I'm putting it off until. uh, Well, my original plan was to uh, watch the first season of the TV show and then read the books. But now with season two coming up, I'm going to watch season one, watch season two and then read the books. Yes.
1: (laughs) And thank Um, you for being the Guinea pig for us too.
0: Well, you, well, someone's got to do it. Yeah. So, um, but Lou and Eric, both of you have read the books. Yes. All Mm -hmm. of them. And you've both now seen the series all the way through as of, well, the season one, sorry, of the series. Yeah. So, um,
1: now, I have not read, I'm, I'm working on Babylon's Ashes right now, which I think is book six.
0: It's book six, yeah. Book I have
2: not sex. started Babylon's Ashes. I'm actually reworking my way through the second trilogy of these books because for some reason I wasn't able to get my, my mind into um, the second three books. Oh, as really? well as the first three, it didn't seem to gel with me. I'm not sure. I'm just so I'm I'm going back and listening to those three in sequence before I get to Babylon's ashes, or the two before I get to Babylon's ashes. Okay, because I want to make sure I'm aware of what's going on in, yeah, in the, I, uh, the I, universe.
1: I liked where the second trilogy uh, was going, and I forget how many books they're contracted for, but there are several more books coming. Um, and Honestly, there are all, also some eight, short stories. Eight or twelve. Uh, I wanted to say it was ten to twelve. Like, yeah. basically, they can keep writing Expanse books for as long as they want to keep writing Expanse books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, they can contractually write for as long as they want to, which is pretty
0: awesome. Yeah, um, and I don't think any of us would complain either. So, yeah.
1: Real quick, in the chat room, uh, <laughs> Joel pointed out we should have called this uh, this podcast Detective Miller Time. <laughs> There's a Detective uh, Miller. And then yeah. Carrie, Carrie pointed out that Dulcinea is uh, Don Quixote's girlfriend, so I was correct.
0: Um, so yeah, we will not be talking about book related content. So no spoilers for me.
1: Yeah, that's uh, a good point.
0: Yeah. We're not going to spoil the books. And until we catch up with, uh, the, this entire season, we're not going to be talking about, um, future episodes that you guys have already seen either. So we,
1: we will expect people to have seen the episodes we're discussing.
0: Oh yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, if you have it, we will spoil the episode for you. <laughs> yeah, and, and we will always tell you ahead of time which episodes we're going to be talking about. So, um, because we, we want to get this out before, hopefully before uh, season two premieres, or at least when it premieres. Um, so we'll probably be having uh, one, one recorded episode for multiple episodes of the show moving forward. So, um. Uh, but before we get into the episode discussion, I like one of you and I don't, I don't want to pick, uh, to say kind of like a, give a, give us a brief background on really, really the, the, the starting plot. Um, and you know how much, uh, from the books that the show is going to cover, um, and stuff like that. So. Okay. Who volunteers? I'll uh, volunteer Eric.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, I, I can do this. Uh, so basically, the the relationship between the books and the television series, uh, again, there are six full-length novels out right now. Uh, the first one is Leviathan Wakes. If you have not read the books, I cannot recommend highly enough that you go read the books. Um, and so far, after watching season one, I don't feel like it's one of these things where you definitely have to do one before the other. The TV series, I think, is so good that you could do that and then Mm. go back and read the books. And you will still want to go back and read the books after seeing the TV series. The books still give more depth, still give more background to things. So uh, one does not devalue the other. Now, uh, I don't think this is a spoiler. Uh, In fact, I think it's probably good to know this in advance. Uh, the, The television series basically covers approximately the first half of the first novel. So season two we'll be covering the second half of Leviathan wakes. Okay. So just to get some, some expectations there, if you've read the books, but not watched the TV series, it does kind of seem a little weird because you know, there's going to be 10 episodes and by episode like six or seven, you're like, wow, they've got a lot. They still have to cover here. How are they going to do that until you realize where they break it? So, um, yeah. So the other good thing about that is that even if they only do that for the first book, it means we've got at least seven seasons of potential content. Uh, if they do that, where they do half a book all the all the way through the series, then we've got uh, we've got an unusually long TV series. So I don't think they're going to do that. I think there are some books that they can't really break up into multiple seasons because of the amount of content in them. I imagine probably just this first book.
2: Mm. And people are actually speculating that season two is going to have some of the second and third book together in it
1: it could I thought the the second book uh while really really good was probably one of the slower moving ones uh pacing wise so I think that combining two and three might be really good plus it it gets to a whole nother exciting uh thing that goes on when you get into the uh the second trilogy as far as like the nature of. Of what's going on in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Which I guess is another thing that we should point out. Um, I don't know if this is related to what you were asking me to point out or not, Chris. But the the story takes place in our solar system. It mm-hmm. is not one of these Star Wars, long time ago, galaxy far, far away. You've got Earth. You've got Mars. You've got um, an asteroid belt. And everything takes place inside our galaxy.
0: Mm-hmm. So it it feels more real, which this this is something that we can, that I have down to talk about um, after we really go through the episodes. Um, But yeah, that's one of the strong points of not only the books, but the show too. Everything Mm -hmm. about this feels real. The
1: physics, the characters, uh, a lot of people have called this Game of Thrones in space, which I hate that analogy. But when it comes to the depth of the characters, um, the depth of the political maneuverings going on. Uh, it's not an, uh, an inaccurate comparison in that regard. So, um, yeah, there's just real, this, this show stinks of realism <laughs> in a good way.
0: Cool. All right. So should we go into the first episode then? Yeah. All right. So, uh, <laughs> I'm going to ask again, what is the name? Dulcinea dulcinea okay I'll, i I'll think it's spanish how so it's like
1: you have to have that accent like uh dulcinea dulcinea yeah it, it's however you would pronounce something in spanish
0: so okay so in in this intro episode um just, just since we're kind of strapped for time i don't want to go too in depth about you know um like a, not a really a frame by frame, but like a, mm-hmm. a scene by scene thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. just just for 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 now, we'll just kind of talk about like the main, uh, the, the the three main beats. Uh, we have our three uh, three main characters. The first one is Joe Miller. Um, he is a detective in the Sirius Station, right? Mm-hmm. A series, Yep. Yes, Sirius Station, and uh, he is assigned about tracking down Julie Mao. Now in the opening scene, we see um a girl who is on the spaceship. Don't know anything about where she is, um, except that she's on a ship. It looks like she's trapped in some kind of uh some kind of trouble. And um she you know is trying to find out what happened to all of the crew because there's no one around her, and then um later on we find out that she's gone missing. Mm-hmm. So Miller is the one that is assigned about tracking her down. Um, quick thoughts. What do you guys think about the character of Joe Miller?
2: I think the casting is spot on for him. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Thomas w- Jane. W- yeah. Um, w- when I compare, you know, watching the show versus what I've seen in, um, you know, the the, the series, it, it, it's a great fit. They've captured him just like I would have pictured him on screen. So I'm I'm really happy with that. Um, you know, he, he he plays the kind of typical archetype of of a of a you know police guy who's not maybe the sharpest cop in the in in the force, and he's not you know doing everything by the book, and he's not you know the the beloved uh, detective. He's you know kind of on the way out. He's not seen as being a star. So he's. You know, he he he's going to be the everyday man that we're going to kind of follow as kind of you know our own selves through this, mm-hmm. and you know his his um, progression of the character, you know you'll you'll see as we go along in the story. But um, I, I think it's just a really good uh, you know it feels very real. I mean, yeah. it, everything about the show feels very real, and and he just feels. A perfect match for this dirty, gritty environment that we're in.
1: Well, he captures that detective noir feel without it being overly stylistic. Mm-hmm. Like it's a realistic take on Defe- uh, detective noir. Um, he's obviously he's uh, he's broken. He's kind of mm-hmm. one of these guys who it's less about the law and more about just keeping things up and running in in the spot in life that he's in. Um, so he kind of doles out his own form of justice to some extent. But, uh, but then here's the thing he's in Sirius station is part of the OPA, uh, the outer planetary Alliance. And it's, uh, it's made up of what they call belters. So these are people who have grown up, not in earth's gravity or Mars gravity, but actually on space stations. Um, they're generally taller, they're thinner, their physiology is a little bit different. They don't handle gravity as well. Um, their culture, as a result, is also different. And they kind of feel like the the main planets, Earth and Mars, because the Belters are mining these asteroids for resources to go back to the planet, so they kind of feel like they're being taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. So there's this uh, victimized mentality by the Belters that often gets uh, expressed in... Bits of rage or anarchy or mm-hmm. lawlessness, and so Miller's kind of in this situation where he's a cop and uh a private organization by the way, as law enforcement and so he he feels like he needs to be a cop and he needs to do his job, but he also kind of gets where the rest of the belters are coming from like he he empathizes with them a little bit mm-hmm. So he's kind of between well, he, the rock and Well, he is ways. a belter, too. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. And you see his partner, who's not a belter, uh, having a little bit of a rough time integrating into that culture and understanding how things really work out there. hmm So the Miller storyline is, is really fascinating. I say the Miller storyline because there's kind of two parallel storylines running through most of the show.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I get the feeling just by watching these first two episodes that... Um, not only are we going to see him, uh, progress in terms of the plot and his assignment about tracking down this girl and what happened to her, but we also get to see him evolve as a character as it relates to him being, uh, him, you know, being associated with the Belters.
1: Uh, he, so. he definitely evolves.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I had a feeling.
1: <laughs> Hush Lou. I'm sorry. <laughs> We we promised uh, I, we wouldn't spoil anything.
2: so
0: We we did, yes. I, I want to skip the second main character for the time being just okay. because uh, his story, I feel like, is the most worthy of discussion. Okay. Uh, and I want to go on to, um, <laughs> again, I don't know this name. <laughs> Christian Chris, okay, Avasarla. Chris, Avasarla, yep. Avasarla, okay. Yes. Christian Avasarla. Uh, she is a uh, UN member and the UN is on earth correct yes right. yes okay UN is part of the earth and she is and I don't know exactly why and I this is a question for you guys cuz this mm-hmm. is this is one fault I kind of had with the first episode it it didn't do the best job in terms of giving me character names and really their motivations right um so she she seems to be uh Really interrogating terrorists, or yes. maybe people like uh, that that are part of either Mars or the Belters, um, and I'm not sure why. So I was hoping you guys could you know shed some light on that.
1: The Belters are. Um, real quick, Carrie in, in the chat room points out that she thought Ceres Station was originally run by Earth and then was taken over by the OPA. Um, I I think she's correct. Uh, And and that kind of ties into this. Uh, The the Belters really, like I said, they feel victimized. And so some of the more uh, extreme factions of the Belters Mm. uh, have pretty significant grudges against both Earth and Mars. And so... Well, well, there's a whole
2: colonialism aspect of it, too. It's kind of like if you look back at, you know, the history of the U.S. and, you know, the colonies from England, they they felt very taken advantage of by England. It's the same thing, really, when you come right down to it, just in space.
1: Perfect analogy. Mm -hmm. I hadn't even thought about that. That's that's perfect, Lou. Uh, And and so what she's doing is there's there have been some uh, some terrorist activity and uh, some rumblings of things. Behind the scenes, and so that's kind of related to the information she's trying to get out of of this guy. Some of that is going to like you don't really have to know and fully understand the the details and the nuances of that scene right now. Uh, more about what's going on between these three different governmental factions will be made mm. much more clear later in the series. Mm-hmm. So for now, so, just understand that like Earth. It, she feels like she has to interrogate this guy because he is a terrorist, Earth is at risk, and it's at risk in a way that's a lot bigger than people realize. There, There's something really big on the horizon coming. She gets it, mm. a few other people get it, and, and that's it. And yet, from the OPA's point of view, they feel like they are protecting their own, and they're standing up to uh, the, the large-scale bullying that's going on. So...
2: Mm-hmm. Now, I know we're not going into the books versus TV show here, but I think we we need to kind of
1: yeah at
2: least say a few things about differences, maybe, uh, without spoiling the books. Now, Krishna Vashala was not in the first book. No. Um, and this whole thing of the whole terrorist thing and this aspect of it, while it enhances the TV show and gives us an a, a, a earlier view of what's going to be taking place than we would have gotten in the novels, um, they're pulling some stuff out of book two and three. Um, as far as the political aspect or or atmosphere, and that's why they've done that in this, in this episode.
1: Yeah. Book one hints at it. And then in season two, it really ramps up. Uh, Mm. but I'm glad that they brought Avasarula into season one.
2: Oh, I am too. Uh,
1: and, and the casting.
2: Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah, I'm not going to try to pronounce her name, but she is spot on. Oh my gosh. exactly who I thought of when I'm listening to the book.
1: And aside from the authors, the first guest we get on the show has got to be her. I want to talk to her so bad. Like Lou and I talked about this for ages when we're reading the book, when and you kind of, you get that mental image of different people as different characters. Like this is exactly, this is the actress I thought of as mm-hmm. I'm reading the novels as Avasarala ever right. say, like before mm-hmm. it was announced as a TV series, she is the one that was in my head and all of the yeah. other casts, um, we, we've talked before in the past, uh, back when we were first starting about doing this this podcast, none of the other cast really felt right to me except Miller. Uh, and now they do. Now they're perfect. But I yeah. knew it was going to take some getting used to. But Avasarola, oh my gosh, just absolute, in the history of TV, one of the most perfect castings
2: ever. Right. And, and for anybody who has not read the books or is, is going to do it after the fact, please do because... I know that I can be able to portray her the way they do in the books in the TV show Well, yeah. because it's PG yeah, <laughs> and she is very much an <laughs> R-rated person in the books. Her her dialogue in the books is just so perfect for somebody who just, you know, I am above you. I don't care what you think. And this is what I'm going to say. You know, it's like that's spot on.
1: Think, think of a mixture between Carrie Fisher and Deadpool. <laughs> she, wow. She just says it like it is period. Yep. She doesn't give a, a crap what you think about it. And Deadpool might be, be a little embarrassed about some of her language <laughs>
0: man. yeah yeah well that'll be something for me to look forward to then oh yeah. i i wasn't a huge fan of this storyline really um in this first episode so i'm hoping and and maybe I, that is because you know it's not really written like that from the book and these other two storylines are right so um i don't know i'm I'm hoping it improves you know that's um, a
1: really good, that's a really good point too. Um, we might want to point out like what, what's important to take away from this first, maybe the first two episodes, because the second episode is, in my opinion, it's really good, but it's probably one of the slower paced of the entire mm-hmm. series. Um, just get a feel for who Miller is, and what's going on there. the The fact that you know he's he's supposed to be tracking down Julie Mao, they're they're kind of interfering, uh, a little bit as. as he goes along, but like he is, this isn't really what he, it's outside the purview of his job, really. This is like an extra assignment that he's given. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Holden and everything that's going on there, that's probably the most critical thing to keep up with. The stuff going on with Avasarala right now, just kind of pay a little bit of attention to, but don't worry if, if you don't catch all of, of the details and all of that. Mm. She's, okay. she's definitely B or C plot right now. All right. I'd say she's C, Jim Holden is A, and Miller is B for the moment.
0: Yeah, I'd all agree right. with that. Speaking of uh, Holden, Jim Holden is the third uh, character that we follow uh, closely in this first episode. Um, he is, uh, first of all, he gets to uh, do certain things with a, a lady in space. In zero G? With no, yeah, zero yeah. G, <laughs> which is pretty cool. I mean, not from like that, you know, naughty perspective, but just in general (laughs) uh, to do things in zero G is just seems cool, but
1: yeah, but it uh, does. So there's two aspects about that. If you get into the whole ultra realism thing, number one, there's some questions about the physics of how to, I don't know how to effectively make that work, I guess. But then the other (laughs) thing, when the gravity comes back on, all of a sudden like i and they kind of crash back down and they're fine i'm thinking how mm-hmm.
0: yeah, like, yeah that could really <laughs> that, hurt. That, that is what i thought too bad
1: that could hurt bad in, in a number of different ways like you end up half on the bed half off the bed you break your spine i mean there's all kinds of ways that can go wrong so uh yeah but that was a cool scene
0: it was um but we should point out that he was doing this with the uh the, the navigator mm-hmm. of the ship the canterbury um, and we don't really get too involved in that because uh, before we know it, he gets the the, uh, the Canterbury gets a distress signal, and at first, I correct me if I'm wrong, but they ignore it, right? Yes, they they ignore the distress signal, which which and is then... against
1: like against the international law.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it I thought I thought it was a very well done sequence of how they kind of came about that though. I mean the the Canterbury is an ice hauler and, and they're paid to haul, you know, um ice from the rings to um Sirius Station to, you know, harvest the minerals, get the water out of it, water and you know is very important in space, you need to be able to get oxygen, all this other stuff. And they are paid based on how fast they can get this to port. And, you know, they, they come across this distress signal and the, the discussion's made of well, if we respond to this, we're going to have to drop the load. We're going to have to go see this. We're going to waste this time. We're not going to get paid. And you know, then the discussion was, well, maybe we just didn't really hear that that well. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. and they decided not to. So you're right. I mean, it's it's against the law. It's supposed to be, I mean, same kind of things of, of rules of C uh, here on earth. If you hear a distress call, you should, you really have to follow up with that. Um, Mm -hmm. unless your ship is in danger type thing. And, uh, it it just shows the realism of what's going on in space here, and how how you know, these guys are trying to get paid. They're trying to make a living. They're already beaten down by by Earth and everything else, and the, how how that plays into it is is pretty important.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, pretty soon we see him. Uh, he he takes over, I, I guess, the the calm channel for the night, um, from someone else, and. Uh, I, I guess he he stumbles back onto this distress signal, and for some reason they have to now investigate it. Uh, is that because they they didn't log it or or what? Yeah, he
2: goes back and logs it in in
0: the logbook, okay. and
2: now it's on the official record. Now they have to yeah investigate it. And yeah, uh, I feel like I'm taking it over again. But it, the one thing I I thought was really kind of cool about the episode right before that, um very beginning of the episode when the, the first officer um, is incapacitated, I guess <laughs> you'd say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't remember the actor's name. Great character actor. I've seen him in a bunch of stuff before. But I love his line about how we ventured so far out into the darkness. And Why couldn't we have brought more light? I was like, mm-hmm. I, that's a cool thing to talk and You think about the darkness and the light and kind of going back to, you know, Star Wars references almost. But
1: and it, it, I, like, I, I, I love that line. It sets a tone for the entire, the the entire all of it, like all of the books, the entire series in in just in that one line. And I don't even remember that being in the books.
2: Maybe I don't think it was. No, I don't think so. I didn't think so either.
1: Which says something about the writing on this show. Uh, It's if you don't know this in television, generally, they when you have novelists as opposed to TV writers. Normally they don't seem to mix very well. And I don't know if that's due to studio interference or the mechanics of writing for television because you have to do it in, you know, uh, 42 minute segments, which is an hour worth of television minus the commercials. But then you also have to have commercial breaks and you want to kind of build up a little mini cliffhanger before the commercials and, and, and writers like novelists don't think that way and that, that's not true to the story necessarily et cetera. so you have all these problems but you see report after report and interview after interview coming out of the people working on this show just saying how much they love having frank and abraham working as part of the the story group for this show they're part of this writers group and how much they talk about what these other writers, the television writers bring to this series. And and there's just seems to be the symbiosis that goes on. That that's really good. But yeah, you get these, these differences in the TV series from the books, which we're seeing a lot of these days when we talk about shows like game of Thrones and, and uh, the walking dead, things like that. Mm -hmm. But it does hit all of the milestones of the books. And yet it brings in things you didn't get from the books and the books still have things that don't end up appearing in the series. And yet the series is perfectly 100%. Uh, and the books are perfectly
0: 100%. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's really cool.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not really too often that you get to see this kind of unique combination of authors and you know television or film writers um, be able to combine in a way that makes it more effective than if it was just one or the other, you know? Right right so um yeah so uh moving on jim holden um does for the lack of uh even though his his crew members don't necessarily seem to uh approve of his uh his leadership or lack thereof um they go out in are sent, uh i know that the ship has a name but I, I don't know it off the top of my head Um, they're, they're little shuttle. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I, Hmm. I knew it was something, but I don't, I don't, I really don't think it matters. Um, they are sent to where the distress signal comes from and they get there. And isn't it where Julie Mao was or is it not?
1: Well, um, if we answered that, wouldn't that be a spoiler for Mm -hmm. future episodes?
0: I was under the assumption that, that it, was but because I, I i thought okay. it came from her I, yeah I that was covered that, clear. that
1: was covered in the first episode okay yeah, yeah so I'm, it I'm is sure where they made, they
0: made that clear yeah
1: it, it is where she had uh sent a distress signal from that is correct
0: okay yeah so they end up getting there uh holden remarks that there is a hole in the side of the uh hole and I, I did not intentionally say it like that a hole in the, in the side of the hull. <laughs> and um
2: they holy go up hull. yes, <laughs> holy hull batman <laughs> uh
0: they, they go up and investigate the uh investigate the hole uh find out that well they they actually enter the ship um find out that it's abandoned just like it was uh and then all of a sudden they find uh something on their scanners that there's ships incoming mm-hmm. So they all get back to the uh get, get back to their uh little shuttle try to escape and then the uh enemy uh ships arrive. The enemy fires torpedoes at them, but then the torpedoes go right by them.
1: Yeah, cuz they're not actually at them.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're actually at the uh Canterbury. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, so the Canterbury unsuccessfully tries to escape um and gets blown up. Yeah.
2: And Which that also ends... mentioned
0: oh, that the, uh, the 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 uh, lady navigator that Holden was um, having a thing with said that uh, she has something to tell him and then gets blown up.
1: And it's really important. And if you only take one thing away from this episode, it's this line and then boom. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Right.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: And And funny enough, that is literally the ending of the episode. Like it blows up without sound in space by yeah. the way which is good i like that yes. yep um this wasn't like a, a big death star explosion from star wars um but, but you, it blows up and then the episode ends yeah so uh real quick talk about a cliffhanger <laughs> yeah yeah and
1: of course they're now stranded out in space because again keep in mind the physics and they're on a little shuttle how, mm-hmm. how are they going to get anywhere um, exactly. Speaking of which, uh in the chat room is our website administrator for randomchatter.com, uh, the network where this podcast belongs, uh, Carrie. And Carrie points out that the shuttle is called the Night.
2: That's right. Which
1: yeah, is yeah, also yeah. Thanks, th- Scoop, the title of one of the Canterbury Tales.
0: Oh, that's clever. Yeah, because, I never thought about that. Because
2: yep. books. Huh. yeah books yeah
1: i don't read books unless they're <laughs> sci-fi so i'm completely ignorant of
2: don't
0: yeah. worry you're not really missing anything thank you I, Carrie. I, I had to read those in high school so
1: that's okay we've got carrie to help us sound smart and <laughs> we need all the help we can get let me tell you we do yep so uh anyway this goes right into uh the big empty which i don't know about you guys i have to say like it was a good episode um I was a little bummed because it moved slow enough that I was worried that people might drop the series, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm curious what you slow. guys, like especially you, Chris, what did you think about this? Cause me, like there are some brilliant things coming and it, there's no way you could get me to not watch this series. I know what's coming ahead and I'm, I'm hooked, but this episode being the second episode of the series, I kind of felt like, Oh no, please, please, please don't lose people over this one.
0: Um I remember watching this one live as it aired. Uh-huh. And at the time I I think I I kind of had really an indifferent opinion about it. Like I still really enjoyed the show. Um but, you know, in hindsight, I I did just recently watch this earlier this evening before we recorded and I watched episode 1 and 2 back to back and I, I think it does a really good job in hindsight of leaving us time to breathe because I, I feel like episode one, um, though I, I really liked it. It, it did. It, it kind of moved at a pace without, like, like I mentioned earlier, without really establishing, you know, names and places and, you know, um, all these various factions. Right and then you have this such a huge event at the very end of the episode um that i'm assuming is going to be a big thing so to have this kind of a slower paced episode where we get to know the characters a little bit more especially um Holden's crew uh for they they i don't want to call this a bottle episode but it is where you, they're all really in just one central location without really moving too much. That is a um, good point. Just,
1: yeah, this is a model episode of sorts.
0: Yeah. Um, not really for the other characters, but definitely for Holden's crew. Um, they, they all really remain in that one part. But I, I this was the first episode where, and granted, I've not seen anything past this, uh, but this was the first time that I really felt myself starting to um, make attachments to characters. Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll mention them later on but uh, specifically Holden's crew members there's a few of them that I really started to like a lot more um, after their performance in here but uh, did you guys not like it or, or you know I mean I can see why people would think it was slow but you know. I think was almost necessary after what we just witnessed at the end of episode one.
1: Well, uh, Lou, tell me if, if I'm wrong here, but I think for you and I probably having already read the book, um, we we didn't have that same problem with the first episode where, uh, really, looking back in hindsight, there's a lot in that first episode. And if especially if you don't know how to prioritize things, uh, like you said, Chris, it's like how much of the Avasarala stuff am I really supposed to be walking away with here? Like, am I supposed to really get all of it or are we just seeing like an aspect of her character or is this critical information that the whole series is based upon Lou and I had more context going into this. So then this was a big slowdown after your explanation of that is exactly what I needed to hear. Chris, I I wasn't sure how this would be taken by people who hadn't read the book and it does make perfect sense. Now that you pointed out to have that kind of that slowing down and one of the critical aspects of this series is going to be Holden and his crew, so being mm-hmm. able to to connect with them and to care about them and to see how they're different, I mean you see uh especially at the very end of the episode. I know we're going to come back to this in a minute, but that tension you you've got shed the the medic who doesn't really have any confidence. you've got Alex the pilot, who's kind of a uh, kind of a stereotypical pilot personality, and it's still mm. different. You've got Naomi, who is a technician, but also kind of a no-nonsense sort of person who doesn't take any crap from anybody. And then you've got Amos, the thug, who kind of sits back in the background. It's like, it's all good until it's not. And mm-hmm. then when he does need to, to act and do something, like he has no, no qualms at all about taking someone out if need be. And he looks to Naomi for guidance on whether or not to do it, not Holden.
2: Well, you know, I think the one thing to consider about this too is it's not like we're talking about um, you know an episode of Star Trek where you take you know okay let's send our you know the 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 a away team out and it's all your best guys and they're doing you know what you need to have done. Right. These are guys that were kind of nobody wanted to do this mission to get on the night and jump over to the or not jump over but you know right burn over to the uh, scapula to check it out. So it's kind of like whoever drew the short straw. Right, so Mm -hmm. it's Holden, who's the third officer on the Canterbury. It's you know Naomi, who is um, you know you know there for the ride. There's the mechanic. There's there's a medic in case there's problems over there. But it's like these weren't like your your best group of guys, right? Picard. They're all buddy buddy friends. Picard got blown up. What's that? Picard got blown up. Riker got blown up. Right.
1: Deanna Troy got blown up. Like maybe you have Geordi, and maybe you have Worf. But otherwise, you're kind of screwed.
2: In a, a couple of red shirts, yeah, yeah. These are guys that are not best buds out there doing this mission together. Now none of them really know. I mean, they've worked together, yeah. But you never get the impression that they're all friendly and they really trust each other. Now they've done now mm-hmm. the situation by themselves. And Holden. And nobody's really in control. Holden's technically the guy because he was third in command on the uh, the Canterbury. But uh, well, And, and actually, you talk second, about them second,
1: working yeah. together, too. Holden, though, was kind of standoffish. Like, he never really went out of his way to connect with any of the crew. He was kind of the guy who was like, he was there because he's there. But that's it. So while the crew might have connections with each other, Mm -hmm. Holden is kind of that guy who's just always back in his own room.
2: Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Holden's the, you know, the backup quarterback on your college football team. He's there because, Hey, you know, I'm on the football team. I don't have to play. I don't have to get hurt. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not putting myself out there. I'm just getting all the glory of this. And he's just kind of sitting there as third in command. And now he's second in command because the, the first officer, you know, is, is not really there for, for, for doing that anymore. And he's like, I don't want that job. No, no, I've been, I'm keeping my head down. I'm just, I'm just here doing my time, collecting a paycheck. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and now he's got to be the guy running the show. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I liked how this cast is, is kind of like a dirty dozen. That's what, that's what I was reminded of.
1: Only um, fewer. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's like, what, a dirty, 36? Dirty, whatever. Six, yeah. Dirty half dozen. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: well, let's talk, I mean, a little bit about the, the, the crew, I, I guess, because like specifically Holden's crew, like Miller mm-hmm. is kind of easy to suss out and so is Avasarla, but a lot of the interactions, obviously I, I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say at some point the various characters will come together at various points of the story and eventually meet up in some way, shape or form because that's Mm -hmm. just what happens in TV shows like this. Um, But right now Holden's crew are really the ones that either have to work as a family or fail to work as a family.
0: Mm -hmm. They they really have that make or break um, kind of, plot to them.
1: Right. Well, and we see that specifically in episode two, like they will Mm -hmm. literally die if they can't figure out a way to work together.
2: Mm. And then
1: even at the very, very end of the episode, they almost screw it all up. Holden almost Mm -hmm. dies at the hands of, of somebody else. And in the process may end up getting them all killed in episode three.
0: Mm. -hmm. Um, I I liked how, uh, the, the main, the main goal uh for them right now is to get the uh transmitter um fixed because apparently that was damaged uh when they got attacked. And um so that you know they're pretty much literally just floating out in space with you know no 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 way to contact. Uh they're burning fuel every second. Oxygen so too. what what do you do? You have to fix the transmitter so you can at least try to contact somebody. Um problem is that the airlock was uh, what was also damaged. And so now they they, they really have to uh, be what's the word um, cooperative? Yeah, cooperative. But they, but they have to think outside the box. Mm, yeah, um, with what they do. So uh, Holden and um, I don't know the other guy's name yet that goes outside with them. Amos. Um, Amos. Amos. Yeah. Okay. He's the thug one, right? Yep. I mean, not yeah.
1: a. Thug, but yeah, a thug.
0: Okay. He's the um, muscle. Yeah, he's the muscle. That's a good way to put it. Uh they go out and um fix the or attempt to fix the transmitter and they do they are successful with it. But I like how uh one of them remarks uh something like, Oh, so you're an earther or something like that and because um, 'cause isn't Holden an earther? Yes. yes. Yes, Holden was an earther born on Earth, um, from Earth. So I, I think um Amos says so you're an earther and then Holden's like what now you want to uh be friends with me and we're about to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um I I enjoy that line but yeah. Uh, I think Amos is a
1: mechanic too if I recall correctly just for the record.
0: Uh what's that said again? Uh,
1: isn't Amos a mechanic as well?
0: Yeah. 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 Uh so meanwhile back in the ship you have the uh the other crew members, since you know, they have the airlock open, they have to put um on one because you know they're they're loo- they're losing their air. Uh and then one of the I think it's what Alex that um starts losing air at a rapid rate or you know, uses it all. Yep. So um Naomi has to kind of take charge and make uh make the medic, which I which I don't know his name either. Shed. Um Shed. Shed Shed. 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 Like something you put shed. tools in. Okay. Yes. Shed has to kind of make him, you know, actually be his role as a medic instead of a a, a bumbling buffoon, and um, rescue Alex. Which they do that by uh, combining their breathing devices, which I thought was pretty cool mm-hmm. because you you know you you think that you know something like that can happen, but uh, I, I don't know about you guys, but if I was in space, I, I really wouldn't think about, you know, cutting my own airline and combining it with the other. That just doesn't, it seems too simple, you know? Right. It's like,
1: it's so, so obvious you wouldn't even, like, it would Yeah.
0: Remind me never completely. to go into space with Chris. I know, right?
2: <laughs> I'm not sharing sure my man. option with you, Lou, no.
0: Sure <laughs> about your own. Yeah. Um, yes, they, they they do end up all surviving and fixing the transmitter. But as luck would have it, uh, the, the people that intercept the transmission that they send, the, the, help transmission, um, they're, they're not really the, the ones you want to, uh, the ones you want to encounter when you're out in space by yourself.
1: But we can't talk about that until episode three.
0: No, no, no. They reveal at the end of the episode. Well, no, we don't. can. Yeah. I mean, the, well, we
2: know the, the, Mars. the was, was the, the Mars Navy. Right. Yeah. Whom so, they yeah, believe the, to be. The your Donager shows up, which is sponsored. you know a, yeah. a battleship class ship from the Mars Navy, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and, and now I, I, we probably should take a step back and talk about the tensions just between Earth, the Belt, and Mars. Um, you know, Mars has become a self sustaining military power. Mm-hmm. Um, they have their own navy, arguably better ships than what the UN has, and. Um, you know, you know, they are sort of the three sides really at odds and nobody is real happy about what the other ones are doing. So now you've got these people that are are on this ship sending out a distress signal. And it's one of those things where you're in, you're in out in the middle of nowhere and you send the, you know, a distress call, who's going to show up to help you, <laughs> you know, and, right. and you take, take your chances.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it's also interesting too. You pointed out that Mars having better ships and stuff. Um, back in the eighties, when we were growing up, you and I, Lou and, You know, there was a lot of sci fi starting to become very popular as a result of Star Wars success. Uh, There was always this, um, even with Star Wars to some extent, but especially in other series, it it seemed like there was always this analogy to the US and and the Soviet Union, uh, what was the Mm -hmm. Soviet Union at the time, as a result of the Cold War. So you had one side that had um, more skilled personnel and better technology. And then you had the other side that had the pure numbers, and it seemed like you know the the skill and the technology was always the u s The sheer numbers and and quantity and scope of everything was the Soviet union mm-hmm. and it's interesting because now we're seeing um Earth be kind of what the Soviet Union would have been in that analogy, and Mars being more analogous to the United States, they're the newer colony uh and they rely more on the better technology and, and the better skill set. Whereas the Earth is basically resting on its laurels in a lot of ways, and it's just, well, we're Earth, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. We're where everything comes from. Yeah. And and so, you know, the the tensions, the nature of the tensions uh across all three of these groups is I think it's fascinating. And there's yeah. not really any one group that's right. And in many ways, all three of them are wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. And now that you mention it, um, it, it, even though there are some real real world aspects to you know our own history that you can uh, kind of compare this to, it's also nice to not really have a quote unquote good guy in all of this. I mean, every if, I feel like at least right now every side and every really faction has their flaws and you know mm. normally when whenever you uh whenever you see a movie or a tv show or even a book um there's always a good guy and a bad guy or you know multiple good guys multiple bad guys whatever um but this is really you know you don't know really who to root for um, so i i i i think that's a I mean, yeah. you have maybe an inkling of who to root for, but then you're not necessarily sure. I'm going to say this. It,
1: uh, my my wife and I had, I had a really interesting conversation about this um, while we were traveling over the holiday break. We were in the car for you know eight hours, and she's been looking for a new TV series to get into for a while, and I suggested The Expanse, and I said, yeah, it's a little darker in tone and this and that, but she's she's been getting away from... Uh, kind of the darker shows, and and one of the reasons, not just is the tone, but she said she's really tired of all of the moral ambiguity. And I said, well, you know, that's something that's kind of interesting about The Expanse. Yeah, there are some morally ambiguous characters, but one of the main characters, uh, James Holden, really, like, he makes mistakes. He screws things up, and in some cases, really bad. Uh, And as we are about to see probably from the end of episode two. But he, he tries to be the good guy. He's not morally ambiguous. He actually, he tries to do the right thing. And in some ways that's refreshing, especially again with the comparison to to game of Thrones, um, where that's another show where very, very few people are not morally ambiguous. Uh, and so it's nice for me anyway, I feel like, uh, and part of it's through having read the book series, Jim Holden comes across to me as someone who is not full of a lot of moral ambiguity. He, he has, uh, a sense of integrity. He has his own moral rule set and he abides by it.
2: Uh, Lou, would mm-hmm. you,
1: would you concur with that?
2: Yeah, I think so. um, and that's and that's you know an example of that is what happens at the end of of episode two. I don't know if we're kind of there to talk about it yet, but you know we we said that Mars Navy shows up to you know answer their distress call, and they're worried now that you know well we don't know what they're going to do to us. And at the same time, Naomi figures out that the transponder they took off the of Scapula, the ship they had answered the distress call in the first episode, was Martian Navy. And shouldn't have been on that ship. So now they're like, well, what's going on? Who's doing this? Now they're going to find us. They're going to kill us and keep this whole thing quiet. So Holden just decides to broadcast out the entire solar system what they found. And the implications Mm -hmm. are that, okay, so the Mars Navy blew up the Canterbury because this is what they they set this trap. And that's going to start a war. And tensions are already high between U.S. or not U.S. between the U.N., Mars and the belt. So now tensions are just even, you know, they just threw a match into a, to a gasoline can. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. he did that not by thinking he's trying to um, piss somebody off, but just trying to get the information out. You know, right, right or wrong, he's going to get this information out so everybody can see it and, and hear it. And he's not thinking about the, the facts.
1: Yeah. He's not thinking. He doesn't really have a sense that the consequences of his trying to do the right thing and trying to get the truth out there <laughs> could cost you know, millions of lives as a result right. if this ends up causing right. a war. Yeah. Yeah. Deep, deep stuff here going on in the show.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is some stuff that was different than what the book came across as, but not so much that it made me think, uh, you know, whatever it, it was done really, really well on the TV show. Yeah. It was done really, really well in the book slightly differently. And I encourage people mm-hmm. to read the book. Um, just yeah. just interesting. It was two, two really good takes in the same story.
1: That's one of the things that I love about the expanse is there's really strong, compelling reason to do both, to read the books mm-hmm. and to watch the series.
0: You know, we should probably point out that, uh, that this, this, episode really isn't completely 100% Holden, uh, Miller and, uh, Avasarla do play a part, although they kind of don't really do anything new. Right. Um, mm-hmm. At least anything important that I see right now that may that may change, and I, I may want to go back and you know re rewatch later. But you know, there's is still looking for Mal, or th- he actually goes to uh, what her her residence, right? Yes. And uh, Avatarsarli, meanwhile, interrogates either the same person or someone else. Um, still, still looking for whatever she whatever it is she's looking for.
1: So uh-huh. the the thing about the Miller storyline and the Avasarala storyline in episode two, again, it's there are a lot of things going on under the surface. And these characters, um, Avasarala knows this and she's trying to find it. Miller assumes that there's just not and happens to trip across more and more as he goes along. So that's why it, it kind of seems like those two characters or those two storylines maybe are spinning the wheels a little bit, but they're, they're discovering things that will pay off later. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not saying it's something you need to go back and and study and and all that. Like it's something that will just naturally flow throughout the rest of the storyline. But there it's both of those, they're laying foundations now for things to come within their own storylines. And then also for the greater storyline. But as you see more of Miller, discovering things about uh Julie Mao, then you really start to <clears throat> lock into that storyline and want to follow where it goes. And as you see Avasarala uncover more about what's going on politically, then you really start to naturally uh lock onto that, especially as we're about to see another player come into the picture uh pretty soon here.
2: You know the 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 storyline in episode two of Asarola really isn't that important, besides just background on what the the tensions in the in the solar system are. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Miller, you know, he's starting to tie pieces together for for looking for Julie Mao, and he's finding clues that that put her on board the Scopuli. Um. And they're tying, they're starting to tie the two pieces together so that you know the stuff that Miller's doing and the stuff that Holden's doing are you know, connected somehow. Mm-hmm. You're starting to see some of those because now that, you know, okay, the sky Ploid was a ship that was the, the bait. They got the Canterbury there to destroy the Canterbury. And now Julie Mao, who we're looking for is, was on that ship. So, you know, it's letting you know that we're going to see these people together down the road. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, as for what happens um, at, at the very end with uh, Holden's uh, crew getting captured, uh, I, I liked, I don't know about you, but that, that shot of, of the, uh, the marsh, I, I want to call them Martians. I, I don't know if that's official, but I, I just like the fact that we can call them Martians and they're not aliens <laughs> because no, you I know, whenever...
2: call Martians in, in the story, don't they? Yeah. Both in the yeah. book and in the show. Okay.
0: Yeah, I just so want I'm...
1: there to be one named Marvin. Marvin the Martian. <laughs> yes. And I want him to complain <laughs> about there not being an earth shattering kaboom. Yes. <laughs> Just Where was your shattering kaboom? It <laughs> was supposed to be your shattering kaboom. <laughs>
0: um, I, I whenever they uh, they show the the Martian military members and then the shot of Holden's crew, I, I felt like that was so out of the eighties. That shot
2: hmm. of okay. them being taken,
0: yeah, oh, it was no, like an eighties was... action. Thing I I don't I don't know but that that's just what my mind thought of. Well,
2: I, you know what I thought was cool about that sequence was you see the you know the MCRN naval officers or naval um, you know commandos we were going to call them you know in full power armor coming in and, and looking all you know hey we're here to you know kick butt and take names and you got everybody else who's like this old broken down <laughs> bunch of guys it's from like, an ice hauler we can breathe again. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but 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 it's just that 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 difference of like we said the technology level that that Mars has, you know these guys are state of the art. I mean this is this mm-hmm. is the the best of out there, and you got these guys from a ice hole that probably should have been mothballed twenty years ago.
0: Yeah, so definitely leaves this on a note that uh, I think definitely makes me want to watch episode three. Um, I I'm gonna I, th- I think I'm gonna hold off watching it until closer to when we record the next episode. Um, just well, so up, I, I don't gonna do three episodes next time. So you're, oh, I, <laughs> well, I, I know yeah. I have to watch three, four, and five. Um, so we can get we can get all get caught up.
1: Just uh, but take before notes, what uh, take notes? Uh, you know the <laughs> third one. I, I wouldn't like Lou said not just because we're we've got three episodes to to cover in the next episode of uh, Crash Couch, but also uh, things pick up. There will be some pretty memorable moments in uh, well, in all three of the next upcoming episodes. So I, I don't think you'll have too much to worry about uh, forgetting, uh, you know, if it's not fresh in your mind just before we record, I think you'll be okay. All right.
0: Um, before we do close this out, I kind of want to talk about, um, just your general thoughts on, uh, the presentation of this show. Um, you know, be it cast tone, cinematography sets, CGI, etc. Um, I'll go first. I love the cast. Uh, I, there's not really any one person so far that I've uh, that I probably wouldn't care for. Um, I'm hoping it stays that way too. Uh, I particularly love uh, Thomas Jane as Miller, um, Dominique Tipper as Naomi, and Cass Anvar as Alex. I, th- I think actually Alex is my favorite. Um, character so far at least at least in the Holden storyline uh, I, re- I really have a soft spot for Miller too because I love like detective uh, stuff and he just looks like a badass so he may not be either but yeah, if he looks like one um, that's fine enough for me uh, I, I also like the cinema- I think the cinematography for this show is absolutely wonderful Um, the, the, just some of the lighting and the tone is it, I think it just fits. There's a lot of blue, and that's my favorite color, so I, that might be another reason why it kind of attracts me. Um, I, I think I've mentioned this to you guys before, but Sarah's Station reminds me of something that came out of Mass Effect. Mm, yeah. It has that kind of uh, shiny, uh, metallic-looking environment. Um with you know, like a like a, the, the balconies on the sides and like the big open space in the middle. Uh, yeah. that was yeah, that was prevalent in Mass Effect. Um, and finally, I think the CGI for a television show is marvelous. Especially if you compare it to other uh CGI heavy shows. Even I mean, I hate to compare this to Battlestar Galactica, but it's a good even, comparison. Even, I mean, that was what ten years ago. That show was on, and even in just in that time frame, the 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 uh, the computer graphics are just light years ahead of that now. And it's it just to see it on a, a the, on the Sci-Fi Channel of all places is just absolutely amazing to me.
1: It's frustrating because it makes the lack of a Rogue One television series from Lucasfilm all the more inexcusable. Yeah. Their complaints (laughs) about, oh, we can't, we don't have the money it would take to make. No, no, they figured it out on The Expanse. And and this is, keep in mind, this is not Star Wars. This is a series that a lot of people had not heard of. Mm -hmm. Now, people who were into sci-fi books and and really good word of mouth uh, heard about it. But, you know, the average mainstream audience member, probably not. So, uh, and yet. I don't know where they're getting the budget for it, but they pull it off. And fantastically, like you said, uh, I was, I was rewatching it today before the recording. I, it hit me as uh, the Canterbury was flying by. I was just like, wow, that I, I forgot the level of detail and the level of quality in the detail Mm -hmm. of these ships. And it was just incredible. And then you mentioned Siri station, the one shot as they're establishing Siri station of that security drone flying through the different parts of the station and then yeah. you get the nice mm-hmm. clean parts and then you get the down below parts where you've got the, the belter workers who um you know who are not they don't have it good and they've and got kind of the protests and stuff going on. Um, that the design of the architecture, the design of the habitats as far as the depiction of the different groups of people in it just everything about this show quality wise is uh, production wise is just top notch. And the cast, uh, we, you know, we had initially recorded a test episode of the crash couch and in episode one. And then we got some stuff happened, uh, (laughs) as our longtime fans have been keeping up with. Um, and we had to put the show on, on a back burner for a while. But one of the things we talked about in those early episodes was that, uh, I I did not connect with the casting of it right off the bat. Uh, Thomas Jane as Miller, perfect. Ava utter perfection. And everybody else, I just like. I it didn't fit for me. The guy playing Holden, I felt was was too young. Uh, Naomi, I guess I I pictured her as being Asian. Uh, her last name is Nagata, which I. This, I don't speak Japanese, but it sounds very Japanese to me. So um that was a little weird. And I think Dominique Tipper is incredible and she nails the role. And like now it would feel weird not having these people. And one of the ones that bothered me the most actually was uh, Amos. I forget who it is that plays Amos, but he just, to me, he didn't fit. Like Amos had this very distinct uh. Persona in my head. And this actor was not it, but now he's the perfect Amos. So I think that says something about, uh, first of all, the the quality of the casting directors and, and whoever it is that actually cast these roles, but also the performances by the actors, they really, they, uh, become these characters and they do so, so flawlessly that now I can't see anybody but these people in the roles. And even, the, the bit roles, uh, the background characters, the characters who don't even have character names in this
2: series mm-hmm.
1: are phenomenal. The belters, the guy up on the soapbox
2: giving the speech. Oh yeah. 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 He's good.
1: I mean, He's phenomenal. I don't I have no idea what his name is and probably never will know uh, the character's name, but he just, he nails it. And the guy that Miller throws in the airlock nails it. And the other cops and, and the other people on the station, there's just there's almost no, i say almost nothing wrong with this show just to hedge my bets because there's got to be something wrong somewhere and i'm just not seeing it i'm not seeing <laughs> anything wrong with this show it's mm. just phenomenal
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i can nitpick you guys know if there's a nitpick somewhere i can find it yeah if if you have a chance to play devil's advocate you will i mean that's me i that's my role in life is devil's advocate but this well, show I can nitpick is just, yeah you
2: can I can too. nitpick about the episode about, about the show so far oh okay go ahead um it, it, I mean everything you guys said I, I agree with 100 i I love the show it's it, it's what I need right now for a good sci-fi show that we haven't had on TV in a long time um you know the the the, the cinematography is great the casting I think really works for everything we're looking at now um if my, my one little nitpick and this is only because I've read the books is they didn't do as good of a job with the physics of space travel.
1: Well, there's no crash couch.
2: Well, that's part of the problem. But I mean, <laughs> you know, they, they just didn't... I mean, when you read the books, and, and granted, I, I listened to the audiobooks from Audible, so uh, you know, I'm listening to a performance of, of the book itself, and that does help sometimes if you're a good good narrator. Mm-hmm. But you know, listening to the books, I, I had such a great image in my mind of how this was working and what the physics were and how... How it was to you know do a high G burn for you know twenty minutes or an hour or how you know how the body would you know react to that kind of thing and, and you can't show that on TV of course and that that's my one little nitpick is that people that don't read the books are missing out on so much good you know detail in the mind of of what the universe is like and how things are taking place I encourage everybody to go out and read the books as well as watch the TV show
0: yeah. You know, one one last thing I'd like to say is, you know, I'm anyone who knows me knows that I'm very very picky when it comes to my science fiction. Um, I, I hate uh, hates a strong word. I I, I like to avoid um, sci-fi, especially books, but that, even TV shows that don't feel real to me or or, or feel like I, they're making up. Um, you know, words for, you know, common things that, you know, we have in our world. Like, I, I know um, I've had problems reading some of the Star Wars novels because some, sometimes it just feels too out there for me right. to relate to. And, like, let's say, you know, in the Star Wars universe, a bathroom is called something else. And you say that without really um, saying that this is where you go to use the bathroom. Um, you know, it, it kind of pulls me away and I I have a hard time investing in this universe or in the universe for the expanse. I'm 100% in, um, even, even after, like I I have, I have all of the book, all the first four books I should say. Um, and I did read a little bit of Leviathan wakes, um, not even actually to the point where the Canterbury blows up. Um, I didn't even get that far. But even then I could just tell that this was a, a, a world that was written in a way that I could relate to it. And it's not too hard to follow along uh, in, in terms of like the science behind it.
1: Yeah. Well, and like it's the, it's
0: a very, it's a very smart um, show and I assume yes. that the books are the same way, but it's not overly complicated.
1: Well, and the, probably the most complicated uh, stylistic form of it. I know what you're talking about with the Star Wars stuff. I mean, you know, the refresher is the bathroom, and and transparent steel is the strongest steel version of the glass they use for cockpits and starfighters. And you got flimsy plast is their version of paper, which is made out of plastic, but it's like a flexible display stuff. And it gets it gets annoying. But then you've also got other authors and series where it's confusing as opposed to nonsensical or it's both, yeah, and in this case, probably the most complicated thing would be the belter slang, and yet it fits and it might be a little difficult sometimes in reading it, but when you listen to the audiobook or you watch the the performance on television, it just it fits like it it's, mm, it, like, it's
2: perfect in the audiobook, it's yeah
1: perfect it's perfect, um and that's really all all there is of that sort of a, a, a typical sci-fi uh slangish sort of thing. Um, and it fits mm. part of the story too. You know, of course they, they build up their own uh, sort of a slang and, and they also use in the book, they use a lot of uh, uh, hand and arm gestures for communication too, because um, you know, if you're outside a ship in zero G and sound doesn't travel and you need to communicate back and forth from your spacesuits, you're going to use a lot of like, Arm movements and, you know, uh, raising a fist up means yes, or shaking it back and forth means no, or things like that. Yeah. Um, and all of it makes sense. Like there's a reason for everything. And most of the reasons for the things are so intuitive that they don't require a lot of explanation. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about and you're absolutely right. And it does, uh, also reflect that in the book as well. It's cool. Good stuff.
0: All right, well, do you guys have anything else you would like to say about Episodes 1 or 2?
1: All I'll say is that mm. if if you have watched this far and you have not watched the rest of the series, um, if there's any reason for which you might have given it pause, just keep going. It, it just gets better from here. I mean, these were good, it, but it just keeps getting better.
0: Yeah, that, that that's what I've heard, too. I remember... Um, I, I tried to avoid spoilers and I'm pretty sure I have. i um, actually, I remember getting spoiled about one thing, but I've forgotten what it was. Oh, good. So or I, I remember <laughs> those are the best. I remember what the, I remember what happened, but I don't remember the details. Okay. So, um, when said thing does eventually happen, I will be still surprised. Cool. So, Cause I have no idea when it does or anything like that. So, um, yeah. So next time on the Crash Couch, uh we will be talking about episodes 3 through 5, um which that those are Remember the Cant, CQB and Back to the Butcher. Mm,
1: CQB. Awesome. Oh. That's one of my favorite I'm not saying it's the best episode of the series, but it's probably one of my favorites. Uh, very action heavy.
0: See, now that is what I like to hear because I I I want to see how this show does action. Yeah, so. So that is it for the first episode of the uh Crash Couch. Um <laughs> We know that this might sound a little uh sound a little uh, bad until we get really uh the format of the show down and uh get get our chemistry going. Um so you can send us feedback at CrashCouch at randomchatter.com. Um any any ways you'd like to see the show improved. Um things that you didn't agree with either of us on, or you even agreed with. Uh, if you, if you want to be a, be a fanboy with me about Alex, um, <laughs> we can do that. Alex is cool. Uh, yeah. So that is crash couch at randomchatter.com.
2: And of course you can also find us online. Uh, if you go to facebook.com slash random chatter network, that is the uh, Facebook page for the network itself. Uh, if you're on Twitter, you can find uh, the, the Twitter feed for this show at crash couch. Uh, the network feed is at random chatter, and uh, you can find us individually on uh, Twitter as well. Chris, where can they find you?
0: I'm at the curse of Chris.
2: Uh, you can find me at my name. It's L O U S E C K I. And Eric, where can they find you?
0: You can
1: find me at Eric Blight. That's E R I K B L Y T H E. And uh, you can find all of the shows on the Random Chatter Network over at randomchatter.com. This may be the first show you've ever listened to on our network. So uh, let's just say we have a a large selection of shows, most of them related to uh, television or film. Uh, We have some more specific stuff, too. We have a selection of podcasts covering a lot of the superhero shows on TV, such as... uh, Uh, Arrow and Flash and uh, DC Legends of Tomorrow, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We've also got a lot of Star Wars stuff. We're big Star Wars fans, so we've got Echo Base. Uh, We have a new Star Wars news show coming soon. Um, We've also got Ghost Stories that covers uh, Star Wars Rebels. And we've got some other stuff, too. We've got Cordcast covering movies. We've got our flagship show, Random Chatter. We've got the Retro Convo, which covers uh, a lot of more nostalgic stuff, uh, things from the 80s and 90s. So we've got a good selection of stuff. Head over to randomchatter.com
0: to check those out. I'm going to stop you. You messed up, podcast <laughs> man. What did I say? You said movies. We're music. Well, yeah, you're music.
1: Did I say movies? Okay, I'm you sorry. Said it's movies. been a long night.
2: <sighs> I was going to crush, but no. I it will.
1: Go. I will fire me later. It's okay.
2: <laughs> you're trying What's to up?
0: mess up my show, Eric. I'm trying. You're pay. <laughs>
2: Um, and of course, you know, letting people know about the show, spread the word on um, on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, you know, leaving reviews on iTunes does help. Uh, more people find the show, and of course, if you have friends that are the same things you are, let them know that uh, you're listening to this, and they should listen to it as well.
1: You know, movies do have soundtracks, and that's <laughs> come on, music. Eric.
0: Don't no, we're and, we're, and we're not me- going to go there, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I'm with Chris. <laughs> right.
2: That's just not right. All
1: right. Uh, finally, you know, we have. Uh, Um, like any podcast network, we've got some expenses and stuff like that. We try to avoid doing advertisements and product placement and, and whatever. And, and we don't know what the future is going to hold, but right now, uh, we rely a lot on support from donations Uh, and that's done through Patreon.com. but it's a way that we can give things back to the listeners as well. Uh, we post bonus content there. We've got some different perks for the different levels of, of donors, um, we do, uh, we're going to be starting up our community gaming night again here uh, this coming week on uh, Twitch, and uh, we've got some perks related to that there. And also we have a Slack community, which is probably my favorite perk, and everybody who donates gets that. It just Even if it's just a dollar, um, you'll get to be part of the Slack community. We've got all kinds of different discussions going on there. Uh, it's a great way to kill some time if you've got a boring day at work or uh, sitting around <laughs> watching tv and not all that interested in what you're watching just pull out your iphone or your uh i guess uh, android phones it works too uh (laughs) just load up slack and hang out with us and and talk Uh, not just with us but the the rest of the hosts on the network and a lot of donors in there we've got some very lively discussions going uh so i highly recommend it if just for that alone but uh, we really do appreciate all of the help it really does um, defray the expenses we have and, and keep the lights on around here so if you're interested in helping out head over to patreon.com slash random chatter mm-hmm.
0: and if you have any questions too about uh, how patreon works or you know any any of the perks or anything like that um just let us know yes yeah. i understand that that can sometimes be a uh a difficult endeavor difficult choice mm-hmm. um one that you might be unsure about, but uh, we will be glad to answer any kind of questions you have. We're very um, friendly, exactly. And we, and you know, I, I like to think that we reply in timely manners too. We, we, we don't leave our we don't leave our listeners hanging when it comes to questions and concerns and whatnot. So, Yeah. Cool. but that is it for the first episode of the Crash Couch. Um, I'm glad we finally got to do this, guys. Yes, it's it's been yes. it's been far too long since I've been able to. Uh, not only not only watch the show. I mean, it, it's probably been close to a year now that the uh, Expanse premiered, and it was good to actually sit down again and watch it. And I, I really can't wait to, um, you know, finish up season one and then start right off on season two. I don't have to wait this time. Yeah, so, uh, that's right. You're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So thanks everyone for listening, and uh, we'll see you all next time. Take care.